Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom He died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the Scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the Word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not, in Jesus' name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. Is obeying Jesus legalism, or is it lordship salvation, as some call it? Is obeying Jesus legalism? You know, you would think, well, actually, it's pretty obvious, you will observe, that when you deal with these eternal securists who grossly overemphasize certain things in Scripture and completely ignore or don't even know what the whole of Scripture teaches, they will actually tell you that you're legalistic or works because you actually believe that a relationship is saved by and loves Jesus will always yield a life of obedience to him. In fact, isn't obedience to God an expression of our love for him? You know, what do these people have against loving God? I mean, it seems like they have something against loving God because loving God will always cause you to obey God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and you are my friends if you do whatsoever I say. John 14. 15 and 15, 14. I mean, let's look at this in light of what we all know to be a correct marriage relationship. So if your husband or your wife requires something of you, does that make them a legalist? Yes or no? If they require that you be faithful in your marriage, does that make them a works-based legalist? Not at all. You'll never hear somebody call uh, they're made a legalist because they want them to be have fidelity in that relationship. Isn't fidelity simply a condition of a loving, pure, secure relationship as God ordained it? I mean, even the lost know that. Of course it is. If so, why do people whine and balk at the truth, I would say idea, but the truth that Jesus would require that they be holy or set apart unto him, deny themselves, take up the cross daily, abide in him, continue in him, and endure to the end with him? Why would they think? that Jesus, that's who they're calling a legalist or works-based or a lordship salvation ultimately, they're balking against him, not actually us, when we simply teach the truth of God. And that is, as we've already said, that if you're truly saved, you will have good fruit. You will continue to love the Lord. If you don't, you're going to fall away, which Jesus said is possible after believing, Luke 8.13. But if you're in a relationship with Jesus, you are obeying Jesus because you love Jesus. He's not just the Savior, but the Lord of your life. You know, as I think about this, it seems like this is the crux of why people believe once saved, always saved. They want to be saved and miss hell, but they don't really love Jesus. Because if you love Jesus, you're willing to obey him. They look at that as a drudgery. But the Bible says that to those who love him, his commands are not grievous. 
When you're in love with a woman, gentlemen, when you're in love with a man, ladies, you desire to please them, right? It's pretty natural. I don't know anybody who would argue about that. See, and so I think if you really stand back and meditate on this, the people who are just looking for a get out of jail, get out of hell, that's eternal jail, hell, irrevocable jail, no release date. You know, they just want a get out of hell card. They don't want to engage in an abiding relationship. Jesus said you have to abide in him. That means you abide by his rules. Rules. There was no doubt growing up that my big, strong Italian dad was the man of the house. And he had rules and regulations. He'd write it on a piece of paper and put it on the wall. You know, my mom and dad have five kids. I got four siblings. You know, that's kind of a tribe, you know. It's a lot of work for parents. So there are things to live by in the Christian life, whether you like it or not. And Jesus said, if you don't abide in him, that would mean and include abiding by what he said and the whole counsel of it, not just grabbing one little verse as most false teachers, most pastors today who are false teachers, 90% of them in the modern church are false. They're going to grab and siphon out a verse here and then go over here in the Bible and siphon out another one or two and try to make, they're going to extrapolate and misinterpret deliberately twisting the Word of God instead of organically studying the Bible all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And if you're listening to me and you currently believe once saved, always saved, I would encourage you to read the Bible. Honestly, ask God if you're a person of truth to show you the truth no matter where it leads and honestly study all the Bible. First of all, you're never going to come up with this idea that you once saved, always saved. That's taught by devils and men only, men who are under the influence of devils. And I know many of you think these guys are just the most wonderful things since sliced bread, but that's how Satan comes as an angel of light, but it's still Satan. And he's hiding behind these guys that write these books and they're so popular. They got thousands of people following them and stuff and they're false. Satan is the one that decides in the modern Christian business world, if you will, because that's what it is, who gets lifted up and who doesn't. And obviously he's going to elevate those who are teaching his doctrines. And there's no doctrine of devils more prevalent and more sure as being a doctrine of devils as this once saved, always saved idea. Eternal security, that's exactly what he taught in the Garden of Eden, which caused the fall of men. And he's still teaching it today. There's no such doctrine that's not common to man, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10. 13. This is the same teaching that he gave the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden when he said, you shall not surely die. But God said, you shall surely die if you sin against me. You'll be Death always means separation. You're going to be separated from him out of his presence because the wages of sin is still death or separation from God. So these guys like these demonic Calvinists like John Piper, John MacArthur, etc. These once saved always, they teach a lot of good stuff from the Bible. But it only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. little drop of poison makes the whole glass of otherwise fresh, cool, clean water an absolute deadly endeavor. Paul said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Or little leaven, when you put it in with bread, just takes a little sprinkle. It makes the whole bread rise up. It affects the whole loaf. And that one doctrine, everything else can be perfect in your theology. If you believe the lie of once saved, always saved, your body of truth, your whole loaf is absolutely poisoned. And that's all it took from the first man and woman to be separated from God. Somebody asked me recently, how many sins does it take for God to separate a man from himself? I said, well, how many did it take Adam and Eve? I'm just asking a question. It's self-evident, just one. And that person had never thought of that before. But I want you to meditate on that. Brother, are you saying one sin is going to send me to hell? You better not die in sin, according to scripture. You better be cleansing yourself from 
from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Second Corinthians 7, 1. If you don't want to turn this off, because we're not going to give you anything but the Bible truth, and you better read the Bible for yourself and embrace it with everything that is in you so that no man misleads you. Don't allow a man to mislead you. You get your own life with Christ in the Word. That's a problem these days. So many claim to be Christians, but you can't have a, any kind of depth or intelligent discussion from the Scriptures with them. Makes me wonder if you're even saved. So recently, a lady who heard one of our videos, it was an endure to the end video. Jesus is the one that said you must endure to the end. If you got a problem with that, then you got a problem with Jesus, and you're not saved, so it's time to repent. Anyway, she got upset, obviously. She said, stay away, quote, stay away from these legalists. We are saved by grace, not works. No, we are not saved by the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He is our way to heaven, not our good deeds, unquote. Is that true? Yes, it is. But that doesn't mean, in the context of what she was replying to, that in no way means that we don't have personal responsibility. And to teach Jesus said that we must endure to the end, is that legalism? Is it? Is that works-based? No, not at all. This is clearly a person who's been poisoned by the false grace teachers of today's modern church, of which there are so many. And we'll get into that in a second here, with what grace really looks like in the life of somebody who's possessed by it. See, some people think they have the grace of God. No, either the grace of God has you and possesses you, or you don't have it. And it's going to possess you as you meet God's conditions. And some people, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said there's conditions. See, that's the problem right there. They don't want to repent and lay down. That's what it means to repent. You lay down your life. It's over for you. And it's Christ that lives in you, not you. You're dead. Galatians 2.20. Jesus said, and that's what he meant. You must deny yourself if you're going to follow him. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. That begins right there. True repentance. Not just confessing your sins, but laying down your life before the Lord and said, I'm all yours, Lord, and you're all mine. From this moment forward, I'm going to follow you. I love you, Jesus. I lay down my life, Heavenly Father, right now. That's what repentance really is. Not just confessing your sins and getting immediate relief of it and then wiping your mouth and going your own way. And so many false leaders today will accommodate and foster this in you to just not take any responsibility for your life in Christ. They don't preach the word. They're there to get you to keep coming back. They want return customers. They're not interested in your eternal soul. So this lady says that we are legalists for teaching that you must endure to the end to be saved after being saved. Jesus said that. Matthew 10, 22 and 24, 13. He also talked that you must abide in him. That means remain in him or you're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. I'm sorry. What, what does that mean other than what it says? So teaching what Jesus taught is not legalism. We are saved by grace through faith, but that faith as taught by Jesus and his apostles must continue to the end of your life or you will not be with him. You'll be like one of the five foolish virgins, that is five of the 10 who did not remain in fellowship with the bridegroom during the engagement and therefore they were shut out of the eternal kingdom. That's what Jesus taught, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. So how is that legalistic? Are you calling Jesus a legalist? Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. That's Matthew 7, 21. You won't enter into the kingdom of heaven if you're not doing the will of the Father. Now, does doing the will of the Father save you? No, God saves you. But if you really are saved by his grace and choosing to exercise yourself in an abiding relationship with him, you're going to do this well. You see, Revelation says we're going to be judged by our works. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to take all of scripture and look at it, not just go siphon a verse here or listen to the preacher 
scripture is giving you one little verse here and one little verse there. But read the whole Bible. It's all divinely inspired. Not some, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You have to know all of scripture to be able to discern, decipher, and interpret properly assimilate line upon line, precept upon precept, and have an interpretation correctly of the Word of God. You have to do that personally. The scriptures tell you, command you to study, to show yourself. You study. Approved under not man, but God, a workman that takes work, that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. How are you going to rightly divide the Word of Truth if you're not putting all of the truth on the table, as the saying goes? See, Paul said we're to compare spiritual things with spiritual. We understand that compare meaning collate or put together scripture with scripture. And as Isaiah says, 28 chapter, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's the only way you can apprehend the truth of God. Otherwise, you're going to be deceived. And my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He didn't say they didn't have some knowledge, but they're going to be destroyed for lack of knowledge. They know many of your eternal securities, your modern church attendees, they're not real disciples. They just think that going to church makes them, you know, saved or something. But they've heard John 3, 16. They've heard the scriptures taken out of context on sealed and several other scriptures that seem to say that no man can pluck you out of my hand. Jesus said that. But for example, nobody ever read them purposely. Verse 27, which comes before verse 28, 29, last time I checked. And Jesus said, you're not going to be plucked out of my hands. But who's he talking to? He's talking to those that hear his voice and follow him. Those are continual tense words. You must continue to hear his voice and follow him and abide in him. That's John 10, 27 through 29. And then just a few chapters later, as I quoted earlier in John 15, which is something they state, these false teachers stay completely as far away as, from as they can. Jesus said it. He's talking to those that are in him, of course. And he says in verse one through six of John 15, in verse six, he says, uh, first of all, he's speaking of a relationship with him that bears fruit and more fruit and much fruit. See, a relationship with Jesus and abiding relationship is always going to bear fruit, good fruit, the fruit of good works too. The fruit and the good works don't save you, but they are absolutely clear evidence that you have a relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, you don't have one. And verse 6 of John 15, he says, if you don't abide, that means remain or continue in me, you're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. Now, what else could that mean other than you're going to die and go to hell? Nothing. That's what it means. So beware of these folks that, like this lady who says that we're legalists, you know, we're basically works-based. We're not trusting Jesus. Well, here's the thing. We are trusting Jesus. Jesus, based on the full counsel of what he said, not just running off and going to seed and hyper-interpreting one little thing he said here and here, and then ignoring everything else he said. When you discuss this doctrine, this this topic with the once saved, always saved crowd, a lot of times they act like, again, John 3, 16, a few other verses are more inspired than the rest of the Bible. They don't even want to hear the rest of the Bible. They turn their ear away from the truth of God. And the Bible says God is not even going to hear their prayer. Proverbs 28, 9, because they turn themselves, their ears away from the word of God. They're turned on the fables. They're not enduring sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. So my reply to this lady who said that we're basically legalists for teaching that you have to remain in a relationship with Jesus as he taught, and so did all of his apostles. I, I told her, I said, since when is obeying Jesus, that is adhering to the whole of what Jesus said, legalism? Since when is that legalism? She didn't have any reply because I think that that caught her in her deception. Hopefully it did. See, regrettably, some just want to use Jesus to get to heaven, to escape hell, yet want nothing to do with the cross that he commanded, the crucified life on this earth that Jesus said he commanded. If you're going to follow him,
them. And if you're not following him, you're not on the narrow way, which leads to life, which few there be that find it, Jesus said, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. You're not following Jesus. And therefore, why would you expect that you're going to go be with Jesus eternally? You're just like the foolish virgins that he taught about the fire that was shut out of his eternal kingdom in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13. So these self-serving people believe somehow that they can tell Jesus what's going on, that they set the terms of a relationship. They're not interested in reading everything he said. They're just interested in basing their whole life on John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And they run with that term, everlasting life. That's it. I had one moment of faith. I'm saved forever. But that's not what Jesus was meaning there. Initial salvation is the entrance into the kingdom of Christ when Christ brings you into his kingdom. But there are rules and regulations in the house of God, whether you like it or not. And if that upsets you, it's because you don't love him. You love yourself and you haven't truly repented and laid down your life. When you love a woman, gentlemen, you're willing, you delight to please her. Ma'am, when you love a man, if you're married, you know this to be true. You know, you love that man. And when times are hard or things are making you happy or sad, you're still going to do what you're supposed to do because of love. John chapter 14, verse 21, he that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. You see, notice who loves Jesus, those who have his commandments. How do you get his commandments? Well, you study the fullness of what he said. That's a life endeavor. That's your life depend. Your eternal life depends on knowing Jesus. And the only way you can know him is to know what he said. His words communicate to you who he is. That's why we have a written Bible, tangibly, the word of God, the precepts of God. These self-serving people, though, they somehow believe that they decide what the terms of a relationship are instead of humbly, honestly reading the words of God for themselves and adhering to them. And again, let me recite that again. I want you to get familiar with John 14, 21. Jesus said, he that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. You see, if you've ever had a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, a, a spouse, a marriage, or whatever relationship that didn't do what you desired, you immediately began to realize that person does not love me. Right? Right. And that's the problem here with people who, anytime they hear something that com that requires them to lay down a life and literally obey Jesus, oh, that's legalism. I'm saved by grace. So what's grace? I'm going to get into that in a minute. What grace really is, what it looks like, according to the biblical definition. See, Jesus makes it clear that those who are of God hear and obey his words. Those that love God do not try to make up their own way and follow what the psalmist calls a false way by perverting the grace of God. Psalm 119, 104, and 128. And the Lord specifically warns us of these ungodly people. He calls them ungodly. Who turn the grace of God into a license for sin. They say, I'm saved by grace. I'll do what I want, basically. I don't want to be accountable for my every thought, my every action, every temptation. I don't want to be under that microscope. Well, why? Because they don't love the Lord. That's what it all boils down to. It's kind of like a husband or a wife that has shown that they can be unfaithful and then they get upset because their mate is holding them accountable not to flirt with other men. Or in the case of the man, that he would not flirt 
together with other women. That jeopardizes their relationship. And so is the case with believers. Jesus told Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Satan is constantly tempting us and calling us to worship at the altar of self. But that takes forsaking Christ to do such. And the Bible says you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Jesus says, he that is not with me is against me and that no man can serve two masters. So you have to choose. And those that are not willing to choose Christ to make an outright decision, they're given over to Christ and that they're going to be crucified with Christ. They cry out to Jesus to crucify, help them to be dead and buried, that he might raise them up, to be delighting in him and also to please him in all their ways. Jesus says, he that is of God hears God's words. Ye therefore, he tells the false religionist of his day, hear them not because you are not of God. That's how you know who's of God and who's not of God. If people are, if a person is not willing to hear the full counsel of God's word, any or everything that God says, that person is not of God. That's what Jesus said right there. John 8, 47. To those who refuse to repent and lay down their lives in this present world, obedience to Jesus, the one they claim they're saved by, becomes something of legalism. That is so sad. Does a wife somehow say that it's legalistic for her to be expected by God and her husband to do her part of the marriage? Something's wrong. This love is missing, if that's the case. So if your husband or wife requires something of you, again, does that make them a legalist? If they require that you be faithful in your marriage, does that make them a works-based legalist? Yes or no? Isn't fidelity, as we said earlier, simply a condition of a loving, pure, secure relationship? Of course it is. If so, why do some whine and balk that Jesus would require that they be holy unto him, set apart, deny themselves, take up the cross daily, abide in him, continue in him, endure to the end with him in a relationship on his terms? Why would that be a problem if you're in love with Jesus? It wouldn't. Now, let's talk about, let's transition and finalize this message. We're talking a little bit about the grace of God and what it looks like when someone is possessed by it. Now, notice the passage I'm getting ready to read to you is never going to be tended to or read by these false grace teachers of today, as we've been exposing throughout this message and as we do extensively on safeguardyoursoul.com. Notice Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God, listen to this. Now, what are we talking about? What is Paul speaking of? The Holy Spirit speaking of it. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. There it is. We can only be saved by grace, right? Right. And it hath appeared to all men. But what does it look like? Watch this. The grace of God that bringeth salvation looks like this, teaching us. Oh, wait a minute. So if we have the grace of God or we're possessed by the saving grace of God, it's teaching us something. I want to know what that is, don't you? Here it is. Teaching us that, here it is, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Where? In heaven? No, in this present world. And if you don't do these things, then you're not going to be in heaven. You're going to go to hell. If you don't like any of this, then you can just turn this off. But if you're ready to get honest and real, keep listening, because this is what God's Word says, Titus 2, 11 and 12. Teaching us, the grace of God is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world right now, not in the future, but now, and right now in this world. That's what we are. So the grace of God, is, according to Titus 2, 11 and 12, is teaching us something. And what is that? To deny ungodliness in this present world, to deny worldly lust in this present world, to live soberly in this present world, to live righteously in this present world, and to live godly, five things, in this present world, Titus 2, 11, 
11 and 12. So let's review one more time. According to Titus 2, 11 and 12, what five things do we see in the life of the true born again, saved by grace, abiding heaven-bound disciple of Jesus? What is divine grace teaching them? Here it is, five things that divine grace teaches us and is teaching us presently if we're truly saved. And the only way you can be saved is by the grace of God. Right here, it says that right there in verse 11. Here's the five things that those that are saved by grace are learning today to deny ungodliness in this present world, to deny worldly lust, that is, in this present world, to live soberly in this present world, to live righteously in this present world, to live godly in this present world. Titus 2, 11 and 12. I want you to become extremely familiar with that passage, friends, because these false so-called and so-proclaimed self-appointed quote-unquote grace teachers are never going to deal with that passage. They're totally false on that one count right there. Totally false. Those are not men of God. Those are sleight of hand deceivers. And the only way you can be deceived by them is that for lack of knowledge, because you refuse to love God enough to read his whole word and adhere to all of it, because it's all given by inspiration of him. Second Corinthians 3.16. The saving grace of God in Christ is not a license to live in sin, beloved, but rather the full provision of God to overcome all sin through the cross lifestyle. That's what we read in a summation of Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 16. Yes, Romans 6, 1 through 16. Read that. Let me say this again. The saving grace of God in Christ is not a license to live in sin. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so, and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.